Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. Thanks for listening. Well, hello, Cherry Hills. I want to invite you uh, this morning to open your Bibles to the book of Job. And it's right before Psalms, which is in the middle of the Bible. And while you're turning there, I just want to tell you that today was supposed to be Baptism Sunday. But we needed to make an adjustment with the coronavirus. And so I thought it might be helpful if we look at how we might benefit from hard times. And there's nothing better than the book of Job to read when you're thinking about hard times. Now, admittedly, what Job went through is probably more severe and more dramatic than some of us, what we might go through. But if God helped him when he went through something that severe and that dramatic, might he not also help us when we face things that are difficult? And here's the question that I want to start out with today. If you're following along, how can we respond when God allows times of trial and loss? How can we respond when God allows times of trial and loss? You know, one of the reasons that I want to talk about this today is you probably already know this, but I've observed that some people, when they go through times of trial and loss, it actually benefits them, it serves them well, and other people, it actually hardens them, and it doesn't serve them well at all. They learn nothing from it. I've also seen this in my own life, that there's times even uh, where I benefit at one time and another time I become more crotchety or more unteachable. So this is the ongoing reason why it's good for us just to review this. And I know that with the coronavirus, (laughs) all of us, Uh, have just been hit by this to say, what in the world are we supposed to learn from this? Uh, Why is this happening? Some of us may even say at times in our culture, I feel a lot like Job. And so even people that don't know uh, the Bible have heard at least some of the things that happened to Job. So I want to talk to you today uh, about four observations from Job's life and then three often overlooked benefits of hard times, and then some prayers that we might pray as we think about going through some of the challenging times that we're in. And again, I want to start by praying like we often do. So would you join me? Lord, thank you that we can learn from your word, that we can learn from Job's life, and that we can discover some things that maybe it's easy to miss when we're frustrated or afraid. So we pray now that you would teach us by your spirit, and we thank you that even though this means gathering in a different way, that we would still be able to engage and still be able to be together this way. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so the first thing I want to do is just give you a little recap. If you've never, ever seen Job's story, let me just read to you uh, what some of the opening words say in Job chapter 1. If you have your Bible open there, you can follow along. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. 
Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And so as we look at these opening verses, uh, what we see is that God, if you're following along, God allows Job to lose finances, family, health, and favor. Now, if you read the second chapter, you realize that after this happened, this conversation, what happened is, is that Satan went out and he uh, did several damaging things to Job. First of all, all 10 of his kids were killed and he lost all of his wealth, which was in his livestock, in one day. In chapter two, Satan comes back and says to God, if you strike his body, then he'll curse you. And God says, okay, you can touch him if you want to, but you can't take his life. And so Job is covered with boils. Now, again, I don't know what this coronavirus is doing to you, but I know some of you are concerned about your finances. Some of you are concerned about your family members, and some of you are concerned about your health. And along with that, sometimes when we lose those things like Job did, we also lose a certain favor, certain privileges, certain things that we counted on, and they are suddenly gone. We may have lost them. How do we respond? Well, if you're following along, notice what Job did. Job, if you're following, disoriented Job pours out his heart to God. Have you ever tried this? Have you ever poured out your heart to God? Uh, last summer, we did a whole series on the book of Psalms, uh, which used this idea of poured out. And so here's the verse again from Psalm 62.8 that reminds us that when we go through things, no matter what we go through, it's a wise idea to pour out our hearts to God. Here's what it says. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. This is what Job did. Now, how did Job pour out his heart? Well, if you're looking at the first gray box, I want to invite you like we often do when we're all gathered together physically, if you would, there in your home or wherever you are, to read this out loud with me. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And the Bible says in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. That's how he poured out his heart initially. Even though this broke him, he was, he was grieving. He still said, look, the Lord gave what I had, and the Lord can take it away. I'm going to continue to praise the Lord. And in the first two chapters, he had that kind of spirit. But notice that as he goes on, if you've ever read the book of Job, 42 chapters, he also pours out a whole bunch of other things. He pours out his doubts, his bitterness of soul, his anger, his confusion, his frustration. And so God says, look, when you pour it out, it's a lot like pouring out a bucket. It's going to come out messy, but pour it out to me. And Job does. For 35 chapters, Job pours out his heart, and a lot of it is unpretty. But God wants us to still talk to him heart to heart. Notice also that extremely uncomfortable, Job still fights to trust God. Extremely uncomfortable. 
Job still fights to trust God. I'll say, when you have boils all over your body, that's uncomfortable. But on top of that, he had a wife who, because she was broken by the loss of their kids and everything, actually suggested to him to curse God and die. And then if that wasn't bad enough, he also had friends, three friends, come and sit with him for seven days. That was the good part. But then they opened their mouths. And they actually told Job that the reason why this was happening to him is because he had sinned somehow. Now, you and I know that sometimes we do suffer the consequences of our bad decisions or things that we shouldn't have done. But there are other times the reason we suffer is because of somebody else sinning or somebody else doing something wrong that affects us. And other times, there are just mysteries when things happen to us. So Job, in the middle of this, had to somehow fight through this to still trust God. Now, what do I mean? If you look at Job 13, 15, here's another verse in Job that a number of people have held on to over the years. Here's the first sentence. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. There is someone saying, look, this has gotten really bad, but though he kill me, though he let me die, I will yet trust in him. Now, one of the things I want you to notice in this passage is that God was not the author of these terrible things that happened to him. The Bible says is that the evil one comes to kill and to steal and destroy. That's his nature. But notice that in this situation, nothing could happen to Job unless it pass through God's permissive hand. And those are still mysteries and things difficult for us to understand. And Job fights to trust God because he doesn't have the benefit that we do of reading the entire book of Job yet. So notice this, that along with that, God never tells Job why, but God sees better than before. But Job sees better than before. God never tells Job why, but Job sees better than before. One of the things that uh, I was struck by is that Job actually, in response to his wife, says these words in the second gray box, Job 2.10. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? That's a really good question. I've found that question a lot of times to bring me up short and remind me that I'm not God. I, I sometimes believe that God has to only let me know good and not trouble. But Job actually found himself saying, you know, I understand that God may permit trouble in my life, and he's God. He knows what he's doing. I don't. But notice that God never, by the time you get to all 42 verses, he never tells him why. In fact, if you go to chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41, God tells Job, now I want to ask you some questions. You've been asking questions to me. I want to ask you some questions, but never once does he tell Job why he permitted this. And yet, Job, when he gets to chapter 42, says these words in that third gray box. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Notice he's he is already a godly man, but now he's saying, I, I've seen you, I see things better than I used to see them, even though this was incredibly hard. Have you ever asked why? Maybe you're asking why right now. 
I know I'm wondering, why this coronavirus, is why is it happening? Why is it happening now? Why is it happening at all? Why are some people losing their jobs? Why are people losing their financial security? Why are some people losing even their businesses? Why can't we continue to meet together like we've been used to doing? All kinds of questions. Why is our family more tense during this time? You may be asking why. Can I just say something to you about that? I've learned that you can ask why all day long, and there's times to ask why as we process. But what I've found helped me benefit more is when I finally can say, what? What, God, do you want me to learn? Even if you never tell me why, what do you want me to learn in this? Because you may permit things for reasons I don't understand. Oswald Chambers once said this, and I found it helpful. If you're going to be used by God, he will take you through a multitude of experiences that are not meant for you at all. They are meant to make you useful in his hands. And so as we think about this, Job had a willingness to see some things in the midst of all this, even though he didn't understand why, he still benefited in the long run. And you and I can too. And so along with these four observations of Job, let me move next to three often overlooked benefits of hard times. It was about 30 years ago that I once heard someone share these benefits. And I've, I've actually found myself coming back to them again and again. And I wonder if they might not help you too. But again, if you have a willingness and you have a heart that's saying, you know, in the midst of this, even though this is hard, even though I would never have invited it into my life, is there anything that I can learn from this? Is there any way this can benefit me rather than this being wasted in my life? Let me just suggest these three benefits. Hard times, first, can clarify what really matters in life. Now, notice with all three of these, I put the word can. That doesn't mean that they automatically do. That doesn't mean that we may not have to struggle to see these benefits. But hard times can clarify what really matters in life. I spent some time in the last month uh, officiating a couple funerals and sitting next to people who are dying and being with families who are grieving. And one of the things that's amazed me is how people have said, you know, when you go through something like this, it strips away all the things that we thought were so important, and it really helps us realize that we need God, that we need to cherish each other, that we need to appreciate things while we have them. And so hard times can clarify what really matters in life. When we remember that, look, I came naked, I'm going to return naked when I die. What things I do have, do I appreciate them? Do I realize that, that God is the most important person in my life? The second thing is, is that hard times can purify our hearts and walk with God. Hard times can purify our hearts and walk with God. Last week, I was reading Psalm 119, and there's these interesting verses in verse 67 and verse 71 where the psalm writer, I don't know what happened, but he said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. And then later in verse 71, he says, it was good, this is strange language, for me to be afflicted so that I might learn and know your ways. And so there was something about his looking back that he thought it really purified some of the impurities, some of the carelessness, some of the uh, wandering in my heart, going astray. These hard times brought me back to center line. 
Uh, I once heard uh, a man say something like this. <clears throat> he said this. The author wrote this. He said, I knew a man who suddenly found himself in a hospital bed. He said, I came to realize I no longer really cared what the world chases after, such as how much money you have in the bank and how many cars are parked in the garage. As it says in Ecclesiastes, chasing after these things is like chasing the wind anyway. Suddenly, the rat race became vanity to me, utter vanity. I felt naked before God. If I died, I would take none of the stuff with me. All that really mattered ultimately was my relationship with the Lord, my relationship with family and friends. If it weren't for the loss of my health, he said, I could have wasted the rest of my life chasing achievements and acquiring more transitory things. I'd say his loss served him well, wouldn't you? His loss simplified and clarified his values. It burned through the haze of confusion that blinds people to the difference between major league concerns of life and the minor league concerns of life, the eternal concerns and the temporal concerns. As painful as a loss might be, loss often produces a simplifying and clarifying effect. Another acquaintance of mine nearly lost his life in a flying accident a few years ago. I had breakfast with him sometime after the accident, and I asked him how his accident and his lingering physical problems had affected him. He said, I see life so much more clearly now. My relationship with Jesus Christ is now of supreme importance. It hadn't been before. Now when I hold my wife and when I kiss my children, I realize what a treasure they are. And so again, Losses, hard times, difficulties like this, if we're willing, they can actually clarify and purify. I know I've had several times when I, as a pastor, just wanted to quit. Times when I was humiliated by decisions that I'd made that were not necessarily the right decisions or where I had so much more to learn, and it was so painful. But I look back now, and I realize it was those hard times that have actually shaped me more than anything else. It was just hard to see it at the time. Hard times can clarify, they can purify, and the third thing is hard times can unify us and bring us closer. Hard times can actually unify us and bring us closer. I was thinking about how much our staff is having to meet online now, but one of our staff said the other day, you know, as challenging as this is, I think we actually are even closer, and I couldn't agree more. And maybe you've seen that sometimes hard times can actually polarize us. They can actually make us more frustrated with each other, but they can also unify us and bring us closer if we have a humble heart and we're willing to see the opportunities. And I appreciate the way so many of you have looked for opportunities to be unified in this time, the way you're engaging, the way you're not only engaging with one another in our church, but also with our community and world. I'm so grateful for these often overlooked benefits. I wonder, have you seen any of these working in your life? Are you seeing any of these working in your life right now? I hope so. But as we think about the observations from Job's life and the often overlooked benefits that come from hard times, I want to suggest as we close some prayers that you and I might pray. And as we think about this, um, I want to mention three ideas that you can pray. The first is this first one is, Lord, my hope is in your character, for you never waste time. 
Lord, my hope is in your character, for you never waste time. I want to go back to a verse in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, because it tells us that when we're going through things, there's more than one thing going on at a time. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Somehow, he helps make us more sensitive to other people, but the reason why we can hope in him and his character is because he never wastes time. Pastor Ron Dunn, the late Pastor Ron Dunn years ago said this, God never wastes time, and he never wastes experience. God never wastes time, and he never wastes experience. Do you believe that? Do you believe that even when you can't see, even when you're hurting, that God's character can be trusted? You can actually hope in what he's doing because he's not going to waste this. You and I might waste it, but he's never going to waste it. If we trust him, he'll use it. The second prayer, and by the way, let me say something about that. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 Spend some time talking about this. Let me just tell you, this has been helpful for me too when I'm going through hard times. So here's Hebrews 12, 7 and 8. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. And that has really helped me to take hardship more as training rather than feeling like it's punishment. It means I can actually learn something. It can educate me. It can train me. It's going somewhere. It's not just a waste of time. But here's Hebrews 12, 11, 11, just four verses later. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Uh, years ago, my brother sent me an email, and I was looking at it this last week. He said, Jeff, my favorite part of Hebrews 12, 11 is the, the disclaimer at the end of that verse that God's training and discipline only produces the harvest of righteousness and peace if you submit to the Lord during the testing. If you don't, it hints later that you just end up with a root of bitterness that grows up and defiles many. In other words, with the wrong attitude, God's testing actually produces yucky stuff instead of good stuff. It's our choice. And man, I think that's really true. And so can I hope in God's character? Can I pray like that? Sometimes it just helps me to begin praying, God, my hope is in you. My hope is in your character, not mine. Second is, Lord, I hold on to you tightly and everything else loosely. Oh, Lord, help me to hold on to you tightly and everything else loosely. One of the hard lessons that Job learned is that with the loss of his fortune, his finances, his family, his health, and even some favor, he realized that he could still go on. I never want to say this insensitively, but sometimes God permits us to go through, go through things to teach us that the only thing we cannot live without is him, that we really can, as hard as it is, keep walking, even if we lose a loved one, even if we lose all of our money, even if we lose our job. None of us want to go through that. But God wants to show us how to hold those things loosely so that if he takes them away, we can still hold him tightly. 
And that's what Job did. In fact, look at what he says in chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. I know that my Redeemer lives. In the end, he will stand on the earth. Though my skin will be destroyed, in my body I'll see God. I myself will see him, and with my own eyes I'll see him, and he won't be a stranger to me. How my heart longs for that day. Job kept saying, I know that my Redeemer lives. You know what I like about that? The word Redeemer means that he can somehow repurpose even the hard things in our life. He can restore us. He can strengthen us. He can redeem even the things we're ashamed about if we'll put them in his hands. And so the third prayer that I would suggest praying is, Lord, thank you that I can grow even in this hard time. Lord, thank you that I can grow even in this hard time. You know, some of us are learning how to grow a bigger heart for others. Some of us are learning how to grow in our depth and appreciation for God and knowing him better. Some of us are growing in other ways, but hopefully it's not just about us. Hopefully it's about something that glorifies God like Job did. And so as we think about this, uh, one of the things that's interesting is that Job uses a picture of gold being purified. Here's what he said in the middle of his trial and his loss, Job 23.10. Here's what he said. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Talk about a hope. This doesn't have to be a waste of time. This doesn't have to just be painful, and it is. But God's doing something. Just like someone refining gold or refining silver, God is doing something in my life. And so which one of those prayers do you identify with? Is there one that would help you if you began to just pour your heart out to God that way and began to look towards him? And with all your worries or questions or doubts or wonderings, what if you were to do that today? I wonder if he wouldn't strengthen you, even your humble efforts to do that. Let me just close by reading a story that I found years ago. Malachi 3.3, you know, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi 3.3 says this, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. A lady writes, this verse puzzled some women in our Bible study, and we wondered what this statement meant about the character and nature of God. One of the women in our Bible study offered to find out the process of refining silver and get back to our group. That week, the woman called a silversmith and made an appointment to watch him work. She didn't mention anything about the reason for her interest beyond her curiosity about the process of refining silver. As she watched the silversmith, he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were hottest as to burn away all the impurities. The woman thought about God holding us in such, hot, uh, such a hot spot that she again thought about the verse that says, he sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. She watched as sweat poured from his brow due to the intensity of the heat from the fire he sat so close to. She asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time the silver was being refined. The man answered that yes, he not only had to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. If the silver was left a moment too long in the flames, he said it would be destroyed. The woman was silent for a moment. 
Then she asked the silversmith, how do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled at her and answered, oh, that's easy. When I see my reflection in it. So I want to just close in prayer, but I wonder if God wants us more and more when we go through these things. He wants to be able to see his reflection, his likeness coming out in our lives. And I have seen that happen in some of your lives, the things you're doing, the things you're telling us, the things you're sharing with our church. And I'm going to keep praying that this will not be wasted time, that you may somehow see God using this to clarify, to purify, and even to unify us. And I sure want to tell you, it's so much better to preach when I get a chance to be with you live. But thanks for your patience as we do this today by video. Would you pray with me? Now, God, what do you want to show us? What do you want to teach us? When we're tempted to just say, why, why, why? Show us how to say, what, Lord? What do you want us to know? What do you want to teach us? What do you want to do in my life through this? Even if it benefits someone other than myself, would you not waste this, but use it for your glory and for others' good? In your name we ask, amen. God bless you, Cherry Hills. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.